Namotasa Bhagavato Harahato Sama Sambodasa Namotasa Bhagavato Harahato Sama Sambodasa Namotasa Bhagavato Harahato Sama Sambodasa Homage to the Buddha, the Blessed Noble and fully self-enlightened one. So, <clears throat> these past, uh, these two talks really are uh, the more th theoretical side, just so that we, we can put our meditation into a sort of greater perspective really. So yesterday uh, we looked at it from the point of view of, you know, the psychology that the Buddha taught uh, tonight, uh, just to go a bit wider into what we understand by karma. So for many of us, it's, uh, it'll just be a bit of repetition, but uh, it's, worth <coughs> it's worth just reflecting on these things over and over, really. Um, just as a warning, when Ananda had been with the Buddha for quite some time, um, he said to him, you know, Bhagavan, Lord, I think I understand this dependent origination. And the Buddha said, oh no, Ananda. <laughs> this stuff goes deep, subtle. So that blew him out. So <laughs> everything, everything you hear from me, you have to understand, is, is, not, is not as deep as obviously somebody like the Buddha would go. But at least it gives us some indication. So karma is a, a very central concept to the Buddha's teaching and of course it wasn't as, that, as though it wasn't known at the time there were there were many ideas about karma karma here means action more than karma uh, with with the r karma it's come into our languages as result you know like you deserve it is your karma <laughs> uh, but technically karma means an act and what follows is known as vipaka you see so uh, I, might, I might confuse you with these terms as I go on, so you have to leave, you have to leave notes for me. Uh, first of all, sort of two general statements. Uh, the first one is about the way the Buddha saw our experience and the way it was understood at those times. Um, the world and consciousness were one and the same thing. We, over a period of uh, two or three hundred years or whatever, uh, you know, have separated the world out and seen it as very objective. And it's brought us the scientific revolution, it's brought us the industrial revolution, technological revolution, it's brought us a huge load of, guilt, of gifts. But we, generally speaking, live under the delusion that what I see and feel really exists out there. <laughs> and that it, it really is out there and I'm actually experiencing it as a true object. These days of course with our neurobiology and all that we've come to realize that in fact that's completely untrue and that we live in a world that we have concocted ourselves in our own little brains within our own bubble of consciousness and the magic of it is that it does produce this world outside. That doesn't mean to say that the world outside doesn't exist. I mean, it exists. If all human beings disappear from this planet, they'd still be the planet. I mean, it's not as though it doesn't exist, but it, it's not, we cannot see it in itself. 
that's all. And um, what, this, <coughs> what this means is that when you're reading the scriptures, you see, when you hear sentence, when you hear a questioner like, how do you get to the end of the world, you see, we might think, oh, well, he's talking about a flat planet, because in those days, most, you know, most civilizations thought the earth was flat. Uh, and that was, that was what he meant. Uh, but generally speaking, it was always meaning, uh, where do we get to the end of consciousness? See, where does the world, the world end? You see, and uh, in that phrase that I uh, quoted last night, there is a consciousness which has nothing in it; it's not manifested, uh, without boundary, and in all directions, full of light. The questioner had asked, "Where do the four great elements come to an end?" By which he means, where does the world come to an end? And the Buddha says. That's the wrong question, you see. He said that's, that's a mistaken question. The question should be, where do the four elements not find a footing? Ah, see? <laughs> and then he comes out with this phrase. So in other words, this, th this consciousness where, you know, and I keep saying this, which we are close to when we are in the state of the observer, is something which is beyond this phenomenal world. So that's one thing. The real point about karma is that the world we are living in is truly being created by us. Right? It depends on our eyes, of course, what we see in our ears. It uh, a lot depends upon the culture we're in, the way we understand things. Yes, that's all information coming in, but what we actually experience is actually being created by us. So if this room, for instance, nobody would deny it disappeared if we all left, but all of us have a different experience of this room. So there are as many rooms here by way of personal experience as there are people. Now, that's the point. Okay? Now what this means is if I'm creating my world, if I'm truly creating my world, and, and it's a mess, <laughs> then it must be me that's creating the mess. I mean, it's just... <laughs> You know, if, if I'm suffering, nobody's causing it. It's me. I'm doing it somehow. So then there is this investigation of, well, what am I doing to create this mess, you see? And that's, of course, the process of vipassana, uh, the process of insight. So uh, just putting that to the side for a minute, because, uh, uh, you know, it'll come into what spiritual karma means, as opposed to the more, shall we say, mm, traditional, uh, traditional meaning of karma. In other words, what, how people have come to understand it. It's very, very mechanical. It's, it's not like that at all. So that's, that's that side, you see. We are living in our own world and we're, we're actually manufacturing it, right? Um, we are doing whatever we can with the stimulus which is coming in. Right? So remember, you know, if you're colorblind, you see that you live in a different world to most of the people. That's the end of that. So the next thing is, is to understand what the Buddha means by causality. And it's known as the Iddhapachyata, which means the Lord of this and that. <laughs> and uh, to put it simply, because that happened, this happens. And because that didn't happen, this doesn't happen. And because this happens now, this happens. And because this doesn't happen now, this doesn't happen. Now, at first sight, you'd think, well, that's a load of... <laughs> you know, this and that, this and that. So, 
The first one is the linear causality, which most of us would understand very simply as because this happened in the past, this happens now. So for instance, at the end of the week, when you look at your bank account and you've seen the wages go in, then you know that's because you just worked this past week. If you didn't, it wouldn't go in, you know, one way or the other. So there's a definite pro, there's a definite uh, way of looking at what's happening now at, with its relationship to what's happened in the past. I mean, that's pretty straightforward. It's sort of linear causality. Now, uh, the problem with that is, logically speaking, where would creativity come in? If everything is some repetition of the past or caused by the past. So one, one would, it would suggest a very repetitive universe, you know, like, like a, a mechanical wheel. Huh? And from a moral point of view, it would, it would definitely suggest some form of fate or predestination because how can you change anything if it's determined from the past action see and of course sometimes you do get the feeling that you know things have happened to you as a fate how else you see so uh, having only that view of time uh, that view of the way things happen uh, puts us into a sort of strange place and it wouldn't make any sense to think about you know, looking at our intentions and, and, be, and being able to change them and stuff like that because everything's, things would have happened anyway. It's all because of something in the past. So that's that linear causality. The, 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 other, the other one is because this happens now, this happens. So this is much more immediate. So here we have it, you see. From a linear point of view, we've all arrived in this room, okay? But from an immediate causality point of view, uh, the whole situation would be different if even one of us left. Right? It takes, it's taken all of us to create this course. So if all of us hadn't been here, this course wouldn't, wouldn't be here now. If you, all, if, you all, if you all suddenly decided this Bodhidharma is just a load of rubbish and you all get up and left, the, the course would come to an end, you see? That would be, be, be the end of it. So the fact that we're all here uh, it means that I can that I can give forth. <laughs> so uh, that that brings us into an immediate causality. Now the problem with that one is if it's if everything is just immediate, then uh, presumably we're looking at a chaotic universe because there's no connection between anything. I mean, you know, anything could happen any time depending on what was happening at the present moment. <laughs> there wouldn't be any sense or or some sort of connection or anything, you see. And uh, uh, morally speaking, that leads us to an, an amorality because, you know, what the hell, you know, you, you murder somebody and maybe you get away with it and maybe you don't. And, uh, and that's the way a lot of people might think. You know, you, you, you rob a bank and you might get away and you might don't. Uh, and that's because of present conditions. So that leads us into a little bit of a, a, little of a bit of an impossible situation uh, from the Buddha's point of view, if we think that um, uh, you know our actions have effect, you know future effect. <clears throat> if you live in a chaotic universe, well, you don't know what's going to happen. You know, there was a case now just listening to this uh, news. So um, this 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 man, crazy fellow, uh, unbelievable really, um, married uh, this poor woman. And within a week or a year of, her, of their marriage, uh, he killed her, 
caused the crash, set the fire, set this car on fire and claimed this massive amount of insurance and got away with it. <laughs> and then he tried it again in New Zealand, he got copped. And then, and then he, and they, they found him, he, he escaped and they found him later uh, trying, to get this, trying to get this poor woman to give him his will, give, her, give him all his money. So, uh, you know, you might think, well, if he'd have got away with that, we live in a chaotic universe. It doesn't really matter, you know, like there's no connection. You, you can get away with things. So that leads, that would lead us to, a, I think, to a position where morality wouldn't be so important. You know, there might be other reasons for being moral, but, you know, it's like it doesn't, it doesn't work so well. <clears throat> now, the Buddha's position is that there are both of these laws. There's both this, this causality coming from the past and there's both this and there is also this contingency this immediate meeting of these different lines of karma these different lines of actions right and we can we can include in this all nature as we will in a minute so you know physically the, the physical universe and and the the um, the plant life and the animal life and the human life are all converging all the time into one into little events which are a compendium of all these streams of actions coming from who knows where and what this gives us is a very creative universe because first of all there's always some uh, there's always some connection to the past there's a there's a for want of a better word a rationality to the process but also there's an unknowability because you don't know exactly what's going to meet. So if you just look at, a, say, a natural disaster, um, uh, this, this dreadful um, tsunami in, in Japan, you see. So that was happening from one law and these people were just getting on with ordinary living and suddenly this happened, you see. I mean, that's, uh, that's, that's always to, to think of it in a, in a negative sense, but also in a, in a beautiful sense, the weather suddenly becomes beautiful and everybody's out on the beach. So, so you don't, it's like there's, there's things coming from the past, but they're meeting in the present and the effect of their meeting in the present is unknowable. And in that sense, we live always in that sense of uncertainty, right? And you've only got to bring it down to the present. Um, you know, we just, we don't know you know, uh, the hour, the day, the time when we're going to drop dead. That's it. You know, if we, if we knew that, well, we could run from it. <laughs> we, could, we try and get around it somehow. <laughs> so it's that unpredictability and yet this amazing creativity, you see. And of course, when you take it into the human, what you have is philosophy, art, technology, that's all working on these same principles. Uh, things are coming to us from the past. Uh, people are meeting in the present. Minds are meeting, you know, uh, and suddenly something is produced. You see? So that, what you, you might say, that's the basic template upon which uh, the Buddha understood the, the world to be behaving. Then there are these uh, five laws of which karma is only one. The first one is uh, the law of heat, as it's translated, or energy, which we, which we can very easily translate into physics and, and chemistry. It's that, it's that level of, of matter, um, as they would talk about it in the, in the medieval ages, of uh, mineral, the mineral world, as they would talk about it. And, of course, that has its own laws. 
full stop. But we just talked about, you know, the tsunami, earthquakes, you see. So uh, there are these different laws running alongside each other, you see. And every so often they produce something beautiful, uh, such as this planet. And at other times they, they can be quite destructive. Uh, but there is this law, you see, that the law concerning the material world. Um, the next one is biju, bija, bija niyama, which means seed. So here we're, we're genetics, you see. So the bodies that we have ended up with are the product of past generations. Yeah? And the, uh, the actual um, uh, original cell of our body uh, contains with it uh, stuff that's come from the past. Right, material stuff that's come from the past. And when it develops, it develops in the particular way of that original seed. Yeah? So, again, this isn't our personal karma. See? Uh, I'm, sure though, I'm sure some of you will remember the, um, the English manager talking about um, uh, congenital diseases or um, being born... Uh, yeah, dear old Glenn Hoddle, who uh, I think, well, he says he was misinterpreted. Who said that? <laughs> says that if you're born, uh, you know, with a um, a deformity, that must be because you did something horrible in the past life, and that disgusted so many people that he lost his job. Uh, <laughs> and of course, that wouldn't be the Buddhist point. Of view. That wouldn't be the Buddhist point of view. Although, in a sense, that's the way you know traditional Buddhists would actually. Uh, think about it, see, because they they transpose this personal karma onto everything. So even when the tsunami hit Sri Lanka, you know, they, they might come up with some some idea that they that they that it was personal karma. Just on that note, there's this uh, uh, tale in the uh, in the um, they're, they're tales after the scriptures, you know, that are all added on to. Uh, Buddhism, uh, but one of them is, is, I thought, rather telling, in which a ship is going along, and um, it suddenly stops. There's a wind up, but it suddenly stops. You see, and so the um, the the captain wonders what to do, and uh, asks the asks the the monks. You see, there's a group of monks there, and asks them uh, what um, you know what, what do you think is happening. So the monks went into deep and profound co concentration and uh, discovered actually it was his wife. <laughs> his wife in a past life seems to have drowned so many dogs. Right? So the only way the ship had moved was to chuck her overboard. It's <laughs> a clever way of getting rid of your wife, isn't it? Anyway, they did so, of course, and the ship moved on. So you get this dreadful sort of mechanical type of karma uh, taught the kids and everything. <laughs> I, I just, it's just, I mean, I, I once asked this uh, elderly man who used to look after us at the monastery, I was just generally interested in it. We were talking about karma and this and that. So I just said to him, I said, why, why do you think, uh, you know, Jesus Christ ended up on the cross, you know, dying such a painful death? He must have done something terrible in his past life. <laughs> They just, you know, like there just isn't the concept that you can suffer for compassion's sake or for love's sake. It's just, it's just, 
it was just, you know, that was it, really. So, uh, this idea of our bodies being personal karma also doesn't work because it comes from a, you know, uh, uh, situations which are simply not under our control. We just end up with this body. Of course, when we're in the body, when the mind and what we do to the body uh, gets in there, well, then that's, that is part of our personal karma. But the original structure and all that is there. And that's how you get, um, you know, uh, family diseases, you know, all mine, up until now, apart from one, uh, die of strokes and, 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 uh, and heart stuff, so I'm, I'm, I'm expecting to go any moment. <laughs> I'm coming to the age when I should fall off a cliff or something. So uh, that comes through the family, and it, it may be, you know, that uh, this is because some earlier generation was immoral in some way, and has caused a weakness within the genetic structure. So this lovely thing that, uh, you know, you, you read in the Bible that the sins of the fathers will be on the generation for seven generations. That's very interesting because there were some reports I read where if your grandmother or grandfather was overweight, then it's probable that you will be. And that's how quick the genetic structure can be changed and affected. So um, if we care for our future generations, stay slim. <coughs> So uh, this, that, there's that whole area of, of genetics and our bodies as physical, uh, you know, uh, 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 as a physical thing, uh, which is not part of personal karma. So that's, the, that's the important thing. The next thing is chitta. So chitta is your mind. So it's psychology, psychology. And here, some writers stretch that out to include our society because society is simply a, you know, a conjoining of minds. And what, they, what we're really talking about here is just the, f the way, the fundamental way the mind works. So in other words, we have sense bases, it, it, it brings in certain stimulus, uh, the brain-mind complex. Remember in Buddhism, the mind and the brain are two different forms of energy. It, there's not just the material brain there. But um, uh, just putting that aside, there's this whole uh, mentation process going on uh, which is producing for us images, thoughts, etc. And um, it's obvious that there's some sort of physical base to our thoughts and feelings, you see. And that, that comes under, under mind itself. Um, I mean, some, some writers stretch that out into, you know, sociology and stuff like that. That's really, it really de depends on where you want to put the dividing line between that and karma, you see. Leaving karma aside just for a minute, the fifth one is, of course, the spiritual laws, uh, which is what we, you know, we learn from the Buddha. Uh, just the law of, uh, well, the first one was cause and effect, but, but it's mainly to do with the Four Noble Truths and the Eightfold Path and those instructions that take us out of the world of suffering. So all that is also a separate area. Um, so if you keep those, if you sort of keep those divisions of the world separate, then you've got this business of karma. Okay. Now, um, uh, we've said that we create our own worlds. Um, uh, what was the next thing I said? Create our own world. Huh? Sorry? 
Ah, no, no, I was thinking of the, the two main... Oh, yes, ca uh, the actual law of causality. Okay, so you've got, you've got these basic platforms. You've got um, uh, the law of causality and, ha um, and the other one. What was the other one? Oh. So, right. Never mind, we'll move on. So, <laughs> it's, to, it's to do with old age, sickness and death. A senior moment. The next one is um, to do with understanding that um, all our suffering and joys are an ethical problem. Right? The, the whole psychology in Buddhism is to do with ethics. It's ethicized, as it's put. So, for instance, when, we, when somebody now, for instance, falls into depression, uh, we would see that rightly as maybe a medical problem, a psychological dis-ease. And, uh, and I think that's, that's perfectly skillful and perfectly all right. But from the Buddhist point of view, the fundamental problem would be an ethical problem. And this, this ethical problem isn't to do with a simple morality of right and wrong. It's to do with relationship, you see. So if we go right back to the beginning... All this mass of suffering, all the depressions and the anxieties and the worries and, and the guilt and all that, all come about because of this wrong relationship with the world, okay? Which substantiates itself into a feeling of me, the self. The self isn't, remember, uh, a thing, it's a process, right? It's a bit like, the, you know, the word marriage. So ma a marriage doesn't exist. What exists is an ongoing painful relationship. <laughs> a trying relationship. <laughs> I'm giving away my experience there. So, <laughs> putting that aside, so if, if you get away from the idea of self, and you'll, you'll, you'll see some writers use the word selfing, just to get that point across, that it's a process of becoming somebody else all the time. And um, um, just lost my train of thought there. Um, where was I? Oh yeah, thank you. That's it. I got it. <laughs> um, so we we think of our mental problems as perhaps medical, you see, and we tend to psychologize things, whereas from the Buddhist point of view, it would be much more of an ethical problem. Now, it doesn't particularly help knowing that if you <laughs> suffer from depression. I mean, you know, like you've got to treat it as a, uh, as a mental dis-ease, and, and um, we're getting rather good at that, generally speaking, in this society, Come off, coming off drugs and, and teaching people how to be, you know, use mindfulness uh, and that sort of stuff. And um, oh dear, I've lost it again. I say ethics, karma. Right, I'm with it. <laughs> I keep keep going off the point. So uh, ethic. Th this karma is to do with our ethics, which is specifically to do with the way uh, we're creating suffering. Right. Once we've grasped that, then we understand what this karma is. 
it's nothing to do with the outside world it's to do with the inner world right it's to do with the world I'm creating that's my real karma so for instance if I uh, uh, I've just pointed out this guy who's you know committed these murders so he's going to end up in prison now prison itself is not the suffering the suffering will be how he how he can bear with that situation right and that situation is within his own mind so what happens to us from the outside is not is not our personal karma it's not the karma which leads to liberation it's always what's happening inside see and that's what we're working with when we practice the vipassana so when we sit here you see and somebody coughs just at the point when we were going to become fully liberated you see that and then we, we, we and we get all angry and hot about it then that's that's it we've 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 created this this world of heat and, and horror you see actually all there was was a cough you know I mean it was just it was just a, a, a sound but we've turned it into a disturbing noise you see so if you if you if we can grasp the idea that when the Buddha is talking about liberation and karma he's talking really about the world we're creating inside ourselves that's the real karma that's the real comeuppance so when you do something harmful the karmic result of that is not being put in jail sure enough I mean that's obviously a result of it the karmic result is the feeling of guilt and shame and having and having to live in in a room for the rest of your life you see what I mean and how you deal with that so that's why where where spiritual karma is see that's that's the point of that's where the escape is from suffering it's within us see so whatever happens to us from the outside which may have some direct causality with us I might have done something in the past which now produces some bad or some good results heaven's sake you know like you buy a lottery ticket and you win a load of money well that's pretty straightforward that's that's good karma you see <laughs> but that's not the karma of liberation the karma of liberation is to do with how we're now becoming attached to money and how it's it's drawing us into a wrong relationship with the world and which will eventually cause suffering so once we, once we grasp the difference between what you might call an outer karma, which is all related, it's all contingent, and this inner karma, then you're much more concerned with the inner karma because it's the inner karma which is actually producing the suffering, not the outer karma. See? For instance, um, these days people are losing their work, you see. Well, to lose your job is bad enough. Uh, to lose the financial, uh, uh, the finance that the job gives you is bad enough. But then there comes loss of status. What do I do now? I've always defined myself, you know, as an engineer, and now what am I? You know, I've always defined myself as a doctor. What am I now? You know, it's like uh, I've always defined myself as a bureaucrat. Now what am I now? And it's that loss of identity which is going to create all the depressions and all that sort of stuff. See, and that's unnecessary. That's the point. It's all come about because of a wrong relationship with the work you're doing. And tomorrow, uh, you know, we'll go into what might be a right relationship so that that suffering doesn't arise. I mean, the obvious word is service, to see your life as a service. And if it's not wanted, well, that's, you know, that's okay, you know. You hate them for the rest of your life, but... <laughs> you, don't get, 
you've entered into it with a, a proper intention. So that's, uh, that's, that's the clarity we need when we're looking to the end of suffering. Right? We're creating our own suffering. Nobody can cause us psychological suffering. Can you grasp that? Nobody can cause you yeah? Physical suffering, yes. But nobody causes us psychological suffering. That's all an internal process. And if it were not so, how could I become fully liberated from suffering unless I get rid of you lot? <laughs> I've got to get rid of all human beings and anything that disturbs me before I can become fully liberated. <laughs> it's, the hot, it's the very fact that I'm creating my own suffering that means that I can uncreate it and enter into this state, this relationship with the world where there's no more psychological suffering. See, that's the point. Hmm. So what you're saying here is that if I did something what is considered really bad, say you killed someone, if I decided that actually I'm very happy about this and I'm not going to be upset because I'm going to be in prison and I'm going to deal with this in a Buddha way, I know that's called yeah. hmm. then actually punishment doesn't ah. need to exist. Ah, no. You see, what happens is, <clears throat> it's the... Uh, uh, I'm running out of time, really. But uh, what happens is, of course, is that um, uh, that that attitude is is a very surface attitude, and it's not really connecting with the true heart of the person. So what happens is that one becomes calloused, and then and then what happens is that that callousness uh, goes out into the world, and and the world begins to mirror back your callousness. Jung talks about this uh, woman who turned up at his office. And she had, she had murdered uh, her rival because she wanted to marry this man. And she had come to a point in her life where she realized that all her children didn't want to know her. She'd lost all her friends. All these catastrophes happened and she made the connection that it all went back to this murder. It all went back to this murder. And he said in his book um, that he felt he'd suffered enough. There was no point of him reporting this to the police. She already understood what happens when you do something harmful. And um, in a sense, even that doesn't make sense <clears throat> unless you see some continuity after death. Because <clears throat> you, you might get away with it and you might live a good life uh, even if you are, even if you do become calloused and all that, you still might end up generally happy and that would seem to us a little unjust. So here, you, you, we have the, the doctrine of rebirth. Now, the doctrine of rebirth, just very quickly, um, it's not something you can scientifically prove. I mean, you know, how can you scientifically prove it? Um, those people who remember their past lives, and there's a lovely clip that's going around on the, on the websites, um, about this young boy in America who remembers himself being killed over the, um, uh, during the Second World War against the Japanese. He was in an aeroplane and he remembers it quite distinctly and the Japanese director is very interested in this and takes him out to where his plane went down. And the interesting thing is he remembers all his, he remembers his sisters and he says things about his sisters who are still alive in America. He remembers all about them and he knows exactly where the plane went down and they even found somebody who was on the ship who remembered him and who remembered where the plane went down yeah 
And this is all done by a little boy of about 11, 9, 10, 11, you see. And of course, he's got this creed that we shouldn't go to war. And <laughs> so uh, there are these, you know, and you get, you get stories like that plenty in the East. I think probably in the West, we still suppress these things a little bit. Uh, but um, if, you, if we understand that there is this uh, consciousness, there is this Buddha nature, okay? And it's, it's, it finds itself in a material world. It finds itself in this physical world. It forms a relationship to this physical world where it thinks that this world is me. Okay? And in so doing, it forms an unethical relationship which creates acquisitiveness, greed, thieving, and all that, and aversion, fear, and all the rest of it. The whole, right? And... When it, when it leaves, when, when upon death, you see, we can see, just, we can see it wanting to seek a similar world elsewhere. So it's seeking always rebirth. Even outside, in, in, the, in the mental body, it's still seeking. Um, I don't know, I, don't, I mean, we call them ghosts, but basically they are, they are, they are these beings that, that, has, that have found rebirth exactly around the places where they died, you know. I can tell you a wonderful story about a Portuguese who dared to attack me, but I, I won't go into that tonight. <laughs> this weekend, I'm like, I'm getting time. <laughs> I've got this forever, except when I lose this, my thread of thought. So, uh, see, I'm, I'm almost doing it now. Um, so... Um, yeah, you see, I've lost it. See, every time, every time I go, eh? you were going to tell us about the <laughs> <laughs> No, I don't, don't want to talk about that. So that's right. So uh, this this consciousness is is always seeking. You see, where its happiness is, and that's why it's drawn back into another life form, constantly into another life form. In the verse that we chant um, in the morning of the Buddha's word. He's been born from life to life to life, but he's found the house builder. See? He's found this mechanism that keeps creating the house, this body, this mind, you see? And he said he's broken the rafters, smashed the poles, all very terrible stuff. And <laughs> he says, I have now achieved the chittang asankatan, which means the unconditioned consciousness. And all my defilements are destroyed. And that's the point, that the, 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 the whole thing about rebirth, without, without trying to work out its detail in hell realms and, and the whole cosmology of it, uh, is, is that process whereby this, this chitang, this consciousness, is constantly seeking happiness, and it's making this mistake. You see? So that's why it keeps being reborn. And so when it achieves its liberation from that delusion, you see, there's no knowing. We don't know what happens to that consciousness. Right? Later tradition says the Buddha reappears in, in a blissful body and so on. And, uh, you know, <coughs> uh, but generally speaking, the Buddha was silent, you see, because it was beyond descriptions, beyond words. That's all. So um, that's a lot tonight, actually. Oh, anyway, there's, there's, there's good books on this, so you, you don't have to... Yes? No, 
no, no, what you come back with, uh, well, I can give you a few stories, but what you come back with is, is attitude. And this attitude manifests within a given society as patterns of behavior. Okay? So if you come back with greed, you're going to find yourself in a greedy situation because you're manufacturing the greedy situation. So if you come back with hatred, you find yourself in a... No? If you come back with love, hey. <laughs> Is your attitude a time of death? Well, that, well, we can go into that at the weekend, but that has a strong effect, just like when you go to sleep. If you go to sleep with, a, with some big anxiety on your mind, what do you wake up with? You see? So, now, that's, that's what I always also point out. If you want to understand rebirth, see what's happening now, because it's happening right now. We're rebirthing right now from moment to moment. See? Not the same, not different. Not the same, not different. See, the connection's there, but... There's something different, and that's where the creativity comes in. See? Sorry? Well, the bu- yes, you could put it that way. The, Buddha's, uh, the Buddha would point out that what, what drives us to seek the end of suffering is suffering. <laughs> Very simple. If we didn't suffer, we wouldn't bother about it. Ah, well, can we leave that for the weekend? Because that's another question here, you see. That's a question here. Very good. I can only hope my words <laughs> have been of some assistance. May you, by your careful investigation of the mind and the world we live in, attain that peace sooner rather than later. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.